Amen. Now, I love it when other pastors come because I love pastors and I'm not threatened by other pastors being in the congregation or whatever. I, listen, we're all fighting the same battle. We're in the same war. And uh, tonight, Brian Jacobs is with us. And I want Brian just to share a, just a quick word of encouragement. Give Pastor Brian a hand of welcome and encourage us tonight, Brian. Well, thank you, Pastor Jeff. By the way, this guy's one of the most connected people that I've ever been around. <laughs> oh, one day he said to me, hey, how would you like to meet Ivanka Trump? <laughs> well, <laughs> He's just very connected. He looks, you know, so meek and mild and, and you know, and you think, well, he's probably just uh, some little pastor over there. But no, he's connected to the whole well, nation in ways that I'm not. Well, sir. And, and so, Brian, it's great to have it's you. It's an honor to be here. So say hello to everybody. Well, hello, everyone. I just thank you, Pastor Jeff. Mm-hmm. And again, you talk about connected to the nation. Uh, every Wednesday night before our church services, uh, I have a, a discipleship class. And what I do in that discipleship class uh, prior to that is I listen to you on the broadcast and uh, so we didn't Thank have you, Brian. A, I'll give you your hundred dollar bill. Seriously, every Wednesday, I try to listen to it more, but every Wednesday for sure at six o'clock. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think you really realize, and I appreciate your accolades about me, Pastor Jeff, but I don't think you really realize the gift that you have. Pastor Jeff's ability to take the Word of God in a simplistic manner and take it out there is just one of the pr- most precious gifts. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to be uh, a meeting. I've been with him before, Dr. Charles Stanley. And what a gracious man of God of teaching line upon line. Well, I'm tell you something. When it comes to the spirit-filled life, and please, no disrespect to Charles Stanley at all. He's a, he's a general in, our, in the body of Christ. But what we have tonight is a true general. And I think Wednesday nights are not only special because of the environment that's here, allowing that gift. So I want to encourage you, Wednesday after Wednesday, not only to bring a friend, but come prepared. Pray in the Spirit. Pray for this man. Take your Bible. Take your notes. I promise you, if you give him 45 minutes to an hour and let the gift of God come through this man, it will not only give you revelation, but it will give you impartation. That's the gift that we have with Pastor Jeff. And I'm thankful for that gift in Burleson. I'm thankful for that gift on radio. And to your credit, I want to say that that's the reason why we need to continue to support this man. Listen, your giving, your tithing, your, your support here, and I, and I consider myself doing the same thing. It's not about just what happens on this property. That broadcast is very important. It reaches a lot of people, and we want to continue to get that broadcast in a greater dimension. A lot of changes have been made, but I'm telling you what more people need to hear. They have not heard the revelation you're going to hear tonight, and it's not right for them to not to be able to hear the book of Romans like you're going to hear tonight. Let's make that happen. I'm with you 100%, sir. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Wow. That's very, very kind words. Let's stand together once more. I know you're all ready to get settled down and get into the Word, but I work you out around here, right? But, but I want us to pray that the Word penetrates tonight. You know, I will tell you that what Brian said, not regarding me, but if you were to go across the churches of America, uh, do you know how hard it would be to find a church walking you through Romans? Now, they're out there, but they're a minority anymore. And I lost my mic. There we go. What you're mainly going to be getting is uh, motivational-type seminars. Uh, You can do it. You got it going on, girl, and all this stuff. But breaking open the Scriptures are what we need. And and that's what every pastor has been called to do. And so um, we need to pray for 
uh, the word just to penetrate here tonight, but also it's going to go out on radio. It's going to go all over the country on radio. I'm sitting there a couple of days ago. Bing comes a message on my phone. And so I look at it and it says, it says, Pastor Jeff, I'm sitting here driving through Montana. Uh, I'm working and I, and I'm having to make a trip and I'm driving through Montana and I'm searching the radio down. Who comes over the radio down? But my pastor, Jeff. And he goes, so I'm so glad to have you with me as I go through Montana. Well, see, that's the gift of God. God has graced us to be not just here, but to take the word to the entire country. How many of you believe America needs the word of God more than ever before? Right? So let's, let's pray tonight that it penetrates. Lord, we just thank you for the word of God. We thank you for this powerful book of Romans. Lord, how powerful it is. Lord, it's a life-changing, mind-renewing, delivering, healing revelation from God. And we just pray that you will open our minds and our hearts to it. Can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, tonight, let the word change my life, change my mind, change my heart, and grow me up in the things of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. You can be seated. God bless you. I want you to go to the very first page. Uh, probably every, every single Wednesday night, we're going to look uh, again at the beginning acronym that we put together for you, just Romans. And uh, so there on the first page, you'll see it, Romans in the big blue letters. And underneath, uh, we, we show you how many chapters are covered in the different letters. So with the R, you have the cross. In the first 17 verses of Romans, all about the cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greek, the Greek being the Gentile, meaning most of us. So everybody say the cross. The O is chapter 118 through chapter 3, verse 20. And it's the ditch. Why do we call it the ditch? Because it shows us beyond all dispute that we are lost in sin and can't save ourselves. And if a redeemer had not come, if Jesus had not come, we would die in our sins and go to a devil's hell and there would be no escape. There is, there, there is a hopelessness to all of humanity in this respect. We can't keep the law of God in our own strength. The Ten Commandments, I, I, I challenge you to try not to break one of them one day. You will break one of them at least in one day. We can't do it. So Jesus had to come do it for us. And that's, so he had to deliver us. But 118 through 320 show us the ditch that we're in. But then comes M, chapter 3, verse 21, all the way through chapter 5. And that's the road. How many of you are so glad God gave us a road out? Amen. He gave us a road out. And that, that road, by the way, Wesley, great job. Great job leading worship tonight. Amen. The road. God presents us as righteous before God through faith in Christ. I want everybody to say with me, how am I saved? By grace, through faith, plus nothing. There's not a thing you can add to what Jesus already did. So we are saved by faith plus nothing. And that's the message of the book of Romans, all right? So that's the road. So we got the cross, the ditch, the road, and then chapters six through eight is the plan. 
The Lord calls us to live out righteous lives by Christ's power within us. So we see the plan of God played out and explained to us how to walk in the spirit and not fall prey to the power of the flesh and so on and so forth. So that's the A. Then comes the N, chapters 9 through 11. And that's the world. Now, let me tell you something. You need to pray for me when we get to chapters 9 through 11 because they are T-bone steak deep theology. And chapters 9 through 11 are mind-bending truths from the throne room of God regarding God's sovereignty and all kinds of things that are, that are really going through some, some deep theological water. Great stuff. But that's the world. How is God dealing with the world? He's dealing with it in his sovereignty. We're going to see that. That's N. And then finally S, as in all of the epistles of Paul, which we call the Pauline epistles, we have chapters 12 through 16 where he gets very practical. Read any epistle that Paul wrote, any one of the letters, Galatians, Ephesians, any of them, and you'll see that he always ends them with very practical how to walk it out, advice and counsel and revelation. Amen? So let's say them together, the cross, the ditch, the road, the plan, the world, the kingdom. And there you have Romans in a nutshell. Now let me get to five and let's go to part five. If you can find it, it's called Take a Walk Down the Roman Road, part five, the glory of divine acquittal, the glory of divine acquittal. So uh, raise your hand when you have found it. Romans or or part five, raise your hand if you haven't found it yet, but you're believing God, you will find it. All right. Romans five. All right. Or rather part five, but it's, we're going through chapter five. Let's look at it. Now we saw last time in Romans four, that salvation is by faith alone. This is Paul's constant mantra because Paul had been raised in a religion, the Jewish religion, under the Mosaic Covenant, where it was all by works. You had to jump through all the hoops. You had to keep the law. You had to live right. You had to keep that Sabbath. You couldn't pick up a stick on the Sabbath day. You, you were, you were uh, subject to all the feasts, all the festivals, uh, and keeping them, and observing them, and, and all the Levitical diet and, and the, all the things that came, all the gotta do's and must do's that came with the Mosaic covenant. That's what he was used to. He was used to, I please God by performance, not by grace. And so when Paul got saved, he had to go through a major revolutionary theological change in his mind. No wonder he went away to Galatia for three years and just disappeared because what was he doing? He was getting his mind renewed. He was getting, he was getting um, readjusted, recalibrated. Because all he had ever known was Mosaic Covenant. Uh, please God by performance. Jump through the right hoops. But now he's come into a faith that is all of God and none of him. And, he, and, and that took him a while. And it takes all of us a while because aren't we inclined to go, well, it's got to be by faith plus at least something, right? Y'all are quiet tonight. Surely I've got to do this or do that or say this or believe that. or I've, there, Surely there's some hoop I've got to jump through to help God save me. But the message of Christianity is by faith plus nothing. 
we are saved. By grace, you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of your works. Lest anybody should boast and say, yeah, God saved me 99%, but I threw in my 1%. No, it's all faith plus nothing. And that's hard to get used to, isn't it? Because even now in our lives, it's all based on merit. You know, go to our job. You do a good job, you get a raise. Uh, You do a bad job, you get fired. Uh, Everything in our culture, in our life, on this world is meritorious. We merit favor or we merit blessing or we do something. And, And that's the way that God created things except salvation. Your salvation is by faith. Plus, nada. So that we will rest in the finished work of Christ. It's all of him. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm going to preach and get off my notes here. Let's go back. Now, so we saw it's by faith alone. Nothing that man does can can secure his own salvation. We are saved by faith alone in the finished, complete, and perfect work of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this time we're going to explore the benefits of justification. That's a Bible, that's a theological Bible word, justification. I like to say, just as if I never did it. Justification. First, chapter 5 begins with therefore. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been what through faith? Justified. Through whom, the whom is Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love the word access because if you're trying to get saved on your own, there's no door for you. The door is locked if you're trying to save yourself. And I've talked to good, well, I say good people. I mean, we're all sinners in the sight of God, but I've talked to well-meaning Good people, good citizens, good parents, educated people, um, you know, people you want to go on vacation with, nice people who, who will say, well, I believe you are saved by your works. I was listening to a very popular conservative talk show host yesterday. I'll say his name, Dennis Prager. And Dennis Prager says a lot of good things. He's a conservative talk show host. He's Jewish. And he said this, a Christian called, and the Christian was saying, well, I believe you're saved by faith, uh, through grace, through the blood of Jesus. Dennis Prager said, I believe you're saved by works. I believe God cares about works. And I believe it's works that will get you your favor with God. And they were nicely going at it. And I listened to a very, very brilliant man, very sharp, very educated, wrote his own commentary on the Bible, but he's Old Testament. It's all works. He literally said, I believe in a meritorious salvation. I believe you merit it. I believe you earn it. 
And the Christian was going, well, no, you don't earn it. And so I, I turned that off when I got to my location thinking, now that was educational for me because I listened to a very good man say what a lot of people think, that I have access by my works, but you don't if you believe Jesus. No, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I am the door. You must go through me, the door, to go into the pasture and become one of God's sheep. You got to go through the door. So there's two thought systems out there. I'm saved by being a good person as best I know how to be a good person, or I'm saved by the grace through faith plus nothing. And I'm going to tell you folks, don't risk it. Believe what Jesus said, because Jesus said, no, 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 no. And Paul, the apostle and all the apostles made it so crystal clear by grace, you're saved through faith, not your own merit. Amen. So by faith, we have access into grace and we stand in that grace and we rejoice in the hope of the coming glory of God. Now the word therefore, I always say, when you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. Because what is there for? It's a connective. It connects one thought to the next thought. Well, therefore is the beginning of chapter five. So he's saying in light of what you just learned in chapter four, therefore, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, summarizes Paul's entire argument of chapters one through four. That's where he's been taking us, the first four chapters. It's by faith, all right? Those who have placed their trust in Christ can rest assured that their faith, minus any of their own works, has been credited to them as righteousness. So everybody say it with me, would you? And the radio audience, my friends out there, say it with me. Faith in Christ plus nothing is how we're saved. Can we just thank Jesus right now? Just first, thank you, Lord, for giving us this blessing by coming to you in faith. Thank you, Lord, that you did it all for us and we rest in what you've done. And that is our Sabbath in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand one more time. Amen. See, when you, when you put all your faith in what he did for you, and it's not resting on you to do, then a deep settled confidence comes to the believer that based on the fact that Christ was put to death for your sins and mine and raised again from the dead, we have been declared righteous, righteous, amen? And it's an imputed righteousness credited to you, not a righteousness that you or I earned. Now remember, justified means acquitted. That's what it means, acquitted, freed, vindicated. Jesus' righteousness was literally imputed to our spiritual account through justification. So that's why I say justification means just as if you never did it. Just as if you never did it. Whatever it is, just as if you never did it. Now, once justified, several benefits become ours. Now, church, if you put your faith in Christ, you're justified. So let's see what the benefits are, are for us right now that we ought to be experiencing Right now, every day, these are the benefits we ought to be experiencing because if you put your faith in Christ, you're justified. First, we experience a brand new relationship with God. Hallelujah. Our new relationship with God 
brings three additional benefits. Remember Paul said, when you're saved, you look up and you say, Abba, Father. There's a relationship born, all right? And that relationship where he's your father brings three additional benefits. Access to God, peace with God, and the hope in God of coming glory. Same again, three benefits of our new relationship with God. Access to him, I've got access to God. Peace with God and the hope in God that glory is my future and not hell. Let's look at them one at a time. First, peace. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the word peace is rich, rich meaning. It does not primarily describe a state of inner tranquility, though I love the inner tranquility that God's peace brings to me, but there's more than that. To have peace with God in this passage means to be in a relationship with God where all hostility caused by sin has been removed. In other words, the battle between you and him and me and him is over. Can I give you a little secret about you and me before we were saved? The Bible says we were his enemy. Not me, Jeff. I've always loved God. No, you didn't. And I didn't either. And if you say you always love God, you're deceived. You didn't always love God. You were God's enemy. You broke his laws routinely. Uh, you, were, you were his enemy. You said his name in vain, all kinds of things. All right? So look at this. We now have peace between ourselves and the God with whom we had formerly been at war. At war because of our sinful lifestyles. Romans 8, 6 to 8 describes this war. Look at what Paul tells us about you and me. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is what to God? Hostile. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law and it can't submit to God's law. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So that's why I tell you, why the Bible tells us, you can't by your own works come into favor with God. Because our sinful nature, it's impossible for our sinful nature to please God. We're never going to do it. He's never going to say, I'm pleased with all your actions. It's never going to happen. Following justification, the war is over. We now have peace with God. And I like to put it this way. When you make peace with God, you experience the peace of God. You got to make peace with God. You know what's wrong with our nation? Our nation is at war with God. Look at the vile talk. Listen to what's coming over the airwaves now that would have been banned 30 years ago. Vile language. Taking God's name in vain. Holding your fist up. Flaunting the worst of sins in the eyes of God. Almost double dog daring God to do something suppressing his truth, denying his reality, rejecting his word, throwing out his son. We're at war with God. When you're at war with God, you will never have peace in your own life. All right? So let's be clear. If you're not a child of God, born again, you're at war with God. 
You're at war with God. You may not agree with that, but you are. And I was. Now, next, we're granted access to God, not just peace with God and the peace of God, but access to God. He says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this, into this grace in which we now stand. Everybody say access. Now, there's a lot of people in my life, um, and they're on different relational levels with me. But I long ago um, told my staff, and I've always had it as a, a rule of, of thumb, that if my children call me, they get through immediately. If my children call me, they get through immediately. Now, that would include Cindy now. If she calls, she gets through. She's my wife. My kids are my children. Now, people who are on different relational levels with me, they're going to get in, but they're not going to have the access my children have. And and why do they have the access? Because they're prettier? Because they're more handsome? Because they're smarter? No, because they're my children. And why do you have access to God? Because you're his child. And when you, as his child, say, Abba, Father, I need, man, you've got the ears of God immediately because you are his child. He will stop the world to take care of you. Yes, he will. So everybody say again, access. We we need to be, listen, go home tonight and on the way home, go, just thank you for the access, Lord. Thank you for access. Because when I go to prayer in the morning, I know he's listening. I know he's listening because I'm his child and I have access. I have instant access. Amen. Through Christ, we've been ushered into the very presence of God, the father by faith. We have gained access into the incredible relationship described in Ephesians two eighteen. Here's what it says for through him. We both have access to the father by one spirit. And consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens. You're no longer out there unable to get to him, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's very own household. Oh, that's so good. I'm a member of his household. So when I say, daddy, oh, give me a job. Got it. Daddy, I need wisdom. You got it. Daddy, I need peace in the middle of this storm. You got it. There's nothing I won't do to get to you with the answer because you have access when the world does not. See, the world is created by God, but until you're his, you're not a child of God. It's a false statement when people say we're all God's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. You're created by God, but you've got to be born again to be a child of God. And until you're born again, You ain't no child of God. Bad English, good preaching. All right? You're not. So that sounds discriminatory to me. It is discriminating. It's extremely discriminating. And heaven has walls all around it. And and gates. And you can't get in unless you're born again. You got to be a child of God. That's why Jesus said you must be born again if you're going to ever see the kingdom of God. So Let's be clear about that. We're not all God's children. As a matter of fact, Jesus said we were children of the devil until we're saved. Ouch. But do we not act like devils? 
even from little kids. You ever seen little kids chew each other up on the playground, hurt each other, say terrible things against each other? The, 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 the venom of hell is on their tongue when they're eight years old. No, we need to be born again. Amen. Now, through him, oh, now, look at this. The word access means a bringing or welcoming in. Here, it particularly refers to our acceptance by God. We are now accepted in or because of or through the beloved. We are, we are welcomed in. I love that. We are welcomed in. Um, sometimes people will, here's what a church is. Church used to be like this. Church used to be, you had your church, uh, your parents were in the same church, your grandparents were in the same, you might even have the same pew. This is my church. How come? Because it's my church. Because I am committed to this church. I am here and I'm not going anywhere. This is my church, my pew. Um, it's my kitchen. Uh, these are my chairs. This is my building. This is where all my family history is. This is it. It's my church. That's not in existence anymore. A church is more like driving a bus. People got get on, people get off. People get on, people get off. And that's what a church is like anymore. All right? That's what a church is like. And so sometimes when somebody leaves... I'll say this to them. Porch light is always on. Porch light's always on. See you later. Ta-ta. Adios. Sorry you're leaving, but I want you to know we love you, and the church light is always on. What am I saying? You're always welcomed in. You know why I do that? Because that's what God's, God's uh, grace is, and that's what Jesus is like. You're always welcomed in. If you need to repent, repent, but then come on. I'm welcoming you in because I have access. I'm welcomed in to the throne room when I pray. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the hour of need. We literally have access to the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. Everybody say again, access. The third benefit of our new relationship with God is the hope in God of sharing the glory of God. So we have peace with God, access to God, and the hope in God of sharing the glory of God. He said, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now this third benefit is all about facing the future with joy. The word hope means literally to anticipate something good, usually with pleasure or excitement. See, if you're full of Bible hope, you don't wake up in the morning and say, oh me. You wake up and you say, amen. You're excited about what God's going to do today. And we are not looking forward to something dreadful and terrible in our future. We're looking forward to something glorious. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. He's, the trumpet's going to blow and we're going up, my friends. We're going up. Amen. I'm not waiting for the undertaker. I'm waiting for the upper taker. Come on, everybody. And so that's what hope is all about. You wake up going, all right, all right. What's God got for my future? And, and that's a benefit of being justified. This third benefit is all about facing the future with joy. In other words, the person with hope wakes up with a happy expectation. We might call it happy hope. 
Happy hope. Why are you smiling? Because I've got happy hope. What'd you smoke? Nothing. What'd you drink? Nothing. What'd you snort? Nothing. What are you on? Nothing. Then, then why are you so happy? Because I've got happy hope. I've got happy hope. You know, a lot of Christians don't look like they got hope of anything. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta sing them up and preach them up on Sunday mornings to get a smile cracked on their face. And hopefully you do. But if we understood what justified brought us regarding benefits, then we would learn to train our minds to go, you know what? When I wake up, I'm going to wake up not with dread, not with fear, not with depression, not with, oh gosh, another day, but no, I'm going to wake up with happy hope. Can we say it together? Happy hope. Let now, I'm going to count to three. I want us to do it. And I want everybody in here to smile. Some of you are going, I don't know if my jaw knows how to smile anymore. Let's give it a try. One, two, three. Happy hope. I haven't seen some of you ever smile. And now I'm seeing it right now. But see, we're supposed to. That's a benefit of justification. Just as if I never did it. When my slate is cleaned, I have happy hope. That was worth coming to church for, wasn't it? The person who is justified by Christ is filled with hope for the glory of God in the hereafter and also of reflecting or displaying that same glory in the here and now. But you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, dedicated nation, God's own purchased people that you may tell of the wonderful deeds. And look at this, display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are God's greatest billboard. Next, Paul presents a whole new concept of suffering. So now we're going to switch gears. What about all the suffering you're experiencing? He says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Everybody say suffering produces. All right. Suffering doesn't destroy when you're a Christian. Suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given to us. So here's the principle. Christian suffering is a source of joy because its purpose is to build character in the believer. Like it or not, suffering produces maturity. So can I say, God uses suffering. He doesn't always cause it. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying he'll use it. He uses it. It becomes a tool, a hammer and a chisel in his hands to produce Christ-like character. So if you're suffering tonight, and probably everybody in here is suffering on some level or another about something emotionally, physically, spiritually, broken heart, whatever, wherever your little place of suffering is, I want you to picture the hand of God with a hammer and chisel. And he's using it to produce to produce character. I mean, I want to say to God sometimes, I got enough character, leave me alone. <laughs> right? But we're going to suffer as long as we're on this earth. And so God's going to use it. And I want you to know that tonight. This maturity comes in stages and begins with the development of perseverance. Perseverance means I'm patiently waiting with a joyful attitude. We know, says Paul, suffering produces perseverance. And the Greek word we translate into suffering literally means pressure. It describes distress brought about by outer circumstances. 
All right? The truth about the Christian life is the cross and the crown go together. And the grief and the glory work hand in hand. And so perseverance means I'm waiting with a, with a good attitude. I'm not waiting mad. I'm not waiting sad. I'm not waiting um, doubting. But I'm, I'm patiently enduring under a load. Perseverance. It produces. Different, uh, difficult circumstances, pressures, trials, and sufferings work for the good of the believer because God has decreed that they shall, and look what it says in Romans 8, 28. We all know this one. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Let's tear a page from Paul's diary. Tell me if you want to be a Christian after we read this. Paul said, we're handicapped on all sides, but we're never frustrated. We're puzzled, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're, we never have to stand it alone. We may be knocked down, but we're never knocked out. Every day, we experience something of the death of Jesus. Every day. Every day. So we may also know the power of the life of Jesus in these bodies of ours. So Paul's being real honest. He says, life for me is a trial. But in that trial, I'm never left, never forsaken, never in despair, never in doubt, because I know he's carrying me. Amen. Amen. Now next, Paul says that perseverance produces character. The Greek literally says proven character. It means character that's been tested and found to be genuine. Anybody knows with me that genuine is going the way of the dodo bird? Genuine. That means real, authentic. What you see is what you get. You're not being scammed or lied to, or listening to pretense, or a con job. Right? The Amplified Bible says, an endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character, approved faith, and tried integrity. Here's the deal. When we pass through difficult times and emerge on the other side, with our faith intact, and with a right attitude, then it can be said our character has been proven. Proven character, the real thing. You are genuine. Your faith is authentic. God is far more, far more concerned with how we go through a trial than what the trial was we went through. How are we going through the trial? I wish I could tell you I bat a thousand going through trials. I don't. I wish I could tell you I did, but I don't. I don't bat a thousand. There's times I have a terrible attitude and I have to say to God, forgive me for my attitude. Um, I sulk, I'll get down, uh, um, you know, I'll go off into my man cave and sit there for a long time and just brood. Y'all are looking at me like halo over your head. Not me, Pastor Jeff. We'll be praying for you. No, let me tell you, I'm being honest with you. I don't always do great. Let me tell you what I have a real hard time doing. Everything give thanks. Oh, come on now. You got to be kidding me. And everything give thanks. How often do we forget to give thanks in most things? Yeah, that's, that's a challenge right there. Try that one for a week. See if you can get by a whole week giving thanks, not for everything, but in everything. 
Tell me how that went for you next Sunday. All right. But proven character is you, you do get through the trial. You do get to the other side. You are still with the Lord. You haven't walked out on him, given up on him, put your Bible down, quit praying, gotten out of church and, and literally walked away. No, you haven't done that. You're still there. You got some bruises, but you're still there. You might be limping, but you're still there. You're still there praising God. You're still there lifting up his name. You're still reading the Bible and praying. That shows proven character. Proven character produces the ability to maintain joy and confidence in God, even when the chips are down and the going is rough. The mature believer knows this, and our hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. I love those words. There's a psalm that carried me through many trials similar to this. It says, David says, I would have fainted. I would have fainted unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have given up, put up the white flag, walked away, cashed in my chips, picked up my marbles and gone home unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. God's going to come through for me. And that care, that verse has been one of my favorite verses throughout my Christian walk. Now, we can place hope in many things that will end up in disillusionment and frustration. Can I have an amen on that? But not the hope we place in Jesus Christ. He'll never let us down. That hope will never leave us feeling like the fool or disappoint us. Never. Hallelujah. This is good stuff. All right. Now let's look at new assurance and judgment. We're coming towards the end. Next, Paul launches into a how much more argument. He begins by pointing out the absurdity that one man would die for another man who happened also to be his enemy. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the who? Ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Oh, no. And though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners and his enemies, he died for us. He died on a cross of agony for us. Paul's point is, if God did all this for us while we were yet in our sins and still his enemy, how much more will he do now that we are his children? Amen. Tell me something he won't do to help you since he did the best he could do when he gave his only begotten son to die for you on the cross. Amen. What more can he do than that? And Paul said, how much more will he now help you since he's your Abba Father? Since we have now been justified by his blood, verses 9 through 11, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, there it is again, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Once you get a hold of this kind of love, everybody, hope springs eternal. Amen. 
We know that if God would do all of this, then we know that we shall be saved from any and all wrath on the judgment day. Amen. The immature Christian has not yet developed this confident hope. John tells us, quote, there's no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. For fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, realizing there's no punishment for those of us who are in Christ. We're not going to be punished. Hallelujah. Now let's look at the gift of righteousness. Starting at verse 12, Paul launches into an extended contrast between Adam, the first man, and the results of sin, and Jesus Christ, the second man, and his atoning life and death. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men. All of us died because of Adam, because all sinned. We all inherited the sin of Adam, and death was the consequence of Adam's sin. But what about those between Adam and Moses? Because remember, Moses brought the what, everyone? Law. And what did the law do? It put our sin under a microscope. We saw how bad we really were as sinners. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't bear false witness. Don't worship anything other than the true God. And on the, the commandments go. When we saw those commandments, we went, oh no, I'm toast. I do all of that, or at least a lot of them. Who will save me? All right? But that's after Moses. But between Adam and Moses, there was not that clarity of what sin was. Because they didn't have Moses' law. So Paul says, for until the law, verse 13, until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And here's what that means. Sin was not added to men's accounts prior to Moses' law in the same way it was afterward. Nevertheless, you still died. Death still reigned from Adam to Moses. Whether or not you fully understood sin, you still inherited the ultimate consequence of sin, which was death. Verse 14, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, verses 15 through 19, Paul makes five comparisons between Christ and Adam, showing the superiority of the gift of grace over the curse of sin and death. First, he compares Adam's trespass through which many died to the free gift of God's grace in Christ, which has abounded for many. He says, but the gift of grace is not like the trespass of Adam. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So grace is superior to Adam's sin and the consequences. Second, he compares the condemnation that followed Adam's trespass and the justification, the justification that follows the free gift of God's grace. Look at what it says again. 
The gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So if you're out of Christ, you're in condemnation. If you're in Christ, you're in justification. Amen. Third, he compares the death that reigned through Adam's trespass and the much greater reign in the lives of those who receive the free gift of God's grace. For if, he writes, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more, everybody say how much more, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So if you're lost, death is reigning in your life. But if you're saved, you are reigning in life. Amen. Fourth, he contrasts contrasts the condemnation that came to all people through Adam's trespass and the far greater acquittal that comes to all people through Christ's act of righteousness. Quote, consequently, he says, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And fifth and finally, he compares the disobedience of Adam through which all were made sinners and the obedience of Christ through which the many will be made righteous. He says, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. He ends chapter 5 with this. Let's stand together and we'll read it together. Amen. Well, I'll tell you, we're already in T-bone steak, right? This is good stuff. Here's how he ends it. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. Everybody understand that? Are you with me on that? The law was added so that our trespasses, our sins, were magnified, were clarified, all right? But grace abounded all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So from Moses to Jesus, death reigned like an evil dictator. But from Jesus onward, grace reigns like a righteous king through Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. How many of you are glad you're under grace and not law? Amen? Amen. If you're under grace and not law, give the Lord a hand of praise. Come on, everybody. Amen. Now, I have been taking a couple of questions. I don't know if I have any tonight. Um, we're doing real good on time. I know you might be a little bit tired, but I like to, if, if there are any, I'll take one or two quick. If there are any questions, if not, we're just going to move on. Oh, I do have some. Okay. You're going, why would you have a stand if you're taking questions? You can be seated again if you want to. You don't have to. Because I'll answer them quickly. But let's take the question. Because I love answering questions, uh, especially regarding what we just went over. So let's get one or two questions. Okay. Uh, so on that last, second to last verse on Romans 5.19. So when it said, for just as through the obedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. 
Why not all? Why, why many? He's just using, it's, it's, if you were to look it up in the Greek language, I'm quite sure that the many is just a usage of a word that doesn't mean most, uh, but it would actually mean all. He's just using, uh, and it might be the translators. I haven't seen it in the many, many different versions. If I had a Greek text with me, I could look it up real quick, but I don't. But he does mean the whole world because uh, the rest of scripture supports that. Like Jesus said, he that believes on me uh, is not condemned, but he that does not believe on me is already condemned and the wrath of God abides on him. That means everybody. So when you have a question like this, if the verse doesn't answer it, the rule of thumb with Bible study is you look and see what the rest of scripture says about it. And the rest of scripture is crystal clear that the whole world, matter of fact, earlier on in Romans two and three, he says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know in Paul's mind, the many meant all because he told us so many times before in the same book, all have sinned. There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned. That's everybody. Okay. Let me get, let me get one more. Is this a question here? Right here. Right over there. I'm in total agreement with the teaching that the law is no good for salvation, otherwise known as reconciliation, otherwise known as justification. What are your thoughts on the law being helpful for sanctification? Well, sanctification is a process by which um, God separates us from the world. Sanctification is a work of grace that is the ongoing work of God by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul, in one place, said, I pray, God, that you, you're, you are sanctified body, soul, and spirit. So sanctification uh, covers the whole man, all right? Now, um, the way that the law would be good for sanctification is in this respect. The law tells us what is wrong. But in the Old Testament, you had no power to obey it. You you had to obey it in the power of your flesh. And so Paul says in another place that the law failed because it was weak through our flesh. The law was good, but it was weak because our flesh could not uphold it. But now when we get to Romans 8, we're going to see that God has given us a way to walk in righteousness. And that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's uh, Romans 8, that uh, if I, by the Spirit, do put to death the deeds of the body, I will live. So Paul is going to introduce in Romans 8 um, the genius of Christianity. And that is that it empowers us to do through the Spirit what we could never do in the flesh. And so of the Ten Commandments, nine of them were moved over into the New Testament as they were. All right. But one of them was not moved over as it was. Guess which one? There's 10 commandments. Now here's the rule of thumb with Bible study. All right. If you see something forbidden in the old Testament, you want to see if it's moved over into the new covenant. For instance, don't eat, uh, don't eat lobster in the old Testament. If you ate lobster, you were toast, you were cooked broke the Mosaic law. But Paul says, Hey, I can eat anything. If I say thank you to God, and I'm so thankful for that because I had bacon this morning and I love bacon. 
And, and I just say, thank you, Jesus, for the bacon, and I eat that bacon. But, it, but if I had been under Moses, I would have been killed for that. All right? So, so we see that Paul changed the Old Testament commandment, saying, no, in the Old Testament, under the Levitical law, it was forbidden. But in the New Covenant, it's not forbidden. Another example in Leviticus, homosexuality is forbidden, called an abomination. Is that carried over into the new covenant? Yes, we see it in the new covenant in many places. Romans 1, for example. And so we know that it's valid for us now. So your question, how do the commandments help me walk in sanctification? Well, simply this way, I know what's wrong. But the good news is in Christ, in the power of the Spirit, I can, I can walk in victory and not fall into those sins because I'm being carried by the Spirit and it's not dependent on my flesh. So the, the work of sanctification is God is daily taking me out of the world, sanctifying me, renewing my mind, growing my spiritual character, and I'm becoming, I'm growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now, the one commandment that was not carried over is the Sabbath. Because the book of Hebrews, and this is another whole night, I'm not going to keep you all night over this. I'll give you something to chew on. All nine of the commandments, we find them repeated in the New Testament. But the Sabbath, it changes. Because the writer of Hebrews, who I know was Paul, I'm just convinced it's Paul, uh, tells us that Jesus is now our Sabbath. And we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore because Jesus is our rest. Jesus is my rest. And, and besides, these people say to you, oh, I, well, you know, I believe in keeping the Sabbath and going to church on Saturday and keeping the Sabbath. Nobody keeps the Sabbath. Don't tell me you keep the Sabbath. No, you do not. Because listen, if you fix a flat tire on the Sabbath, you just broke the Sabbath. If you go pick up your newspaper on, on, on a Saturday, you just broke the Sabbath. Almost, if you crawl out of bed, you broke the Sabbath. If you cook on the Sabbath day, you just broke the Sabbath. You don't keep the Sabbath. But here's the deal. In the new covenant, Jesus is my rest. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. I rest in him. Let's stand together. That's enough. I'll give you enough. to. Uh, you can chew on that. Let's thank God. And we're going to get into the word every week, everybody. It's good stuff. Amen. All right. Let's thank the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we just bless you for your word. Bless the people in their going out and in their coming in. Let your face shine upon us, Lord. And thank you for the power of your word. And let's all say together, thank you, Jesus. I'm justified just as if I never did it. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. Amen.